Hey there, welcome to the Virtual CISO Chronicles. This is a podcast about cybersecurity, entrepreneurship, and business. Each week, I interview an expert working in the field of security. I'm your host, Caroline McCaffrey, one of the co-founders of ClearUps, a security program management platform for virtual CISOs and security experts. I am also an attorney, and for years as general counsel for various startups, I suffered from what I call the security questionnaire problem. So one day, I figured that if no one else was solving that problem, I would. I started this podcast much the same way because I went running one day and tried to find a podcast on the same topics we talk about here, cybersecurity, entrepreneurship, and business. I didn't find any. So like how I started ClearUps, I thought I'd do that. <laughs> Our guest today is Nick Mullen. Thank you so much for joining me, Nick, and welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Caroline. It's a pleasure to be here. I'd love to know and for you to tell the audience a little bit about your background and if you could include where your passion for cybersecurity came from, that'd be great. Yeah, absolutely. So I, uh, like most folks in security, it feels like I've had a little bit of a, a strange journey to get here. Um, I was a college dropout and I I was going to school at a time when it wasn't quite as easy to uh, get student loans as it is today. And uh, I, I ran out of money. Uh, yeah. And and so I ended up kind of bouncing around from job to job. I, uh, you know, I worked in retail. Um, I worked in food service. I did uh, uh, a stint as a pharmacy technician. Uh, I worked in car sales, eventually huh. became a bill collector, uh, believe it or not. So if I went to law school like you, then I'd have a trifecta <laughs> on, you know, all the, the favorite professions, car salesman, bill collector, and attorney. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I, uh, you know, that was kind of my first professional job. Um, I ended up working at that collection agency for about six years, um, mm -hmm. and ended up managing, uh, uh, a couple of different departments, about 120 people uh, locally and then near shore in Managua, Nicaragua. Um, you know, and then uh, I, I ended up getting into uh, IT consulting kind of coincidentally um, as a basically like a project coordinator and uh, org change communications. Um, I, I was working for State Farm Insurance in, uh, in central Illinois, which is where I'm from. And, um, you know, I, I started doing some stuff with cloud and then moved over to, uh, to data and then eventually landed a, a role in security. Uh, at the same time, I was also doing some physical security work at a, a, a music venue local here to me. And, uh, you know, I saw the intersection between what I, uh, what I'd learned and what I knew in physical security and what I was seeing in cybersecurity and, um, everything really just kind of took off from there. I got very interested in, in security and, you know, the more and more I learned about it, the more and more I realized that this was something that I actually, you know, I actually cared about. I didn't feel like I was, you know, just helping build an app to make somebody else a bunch of money. Uh, mm -hmm. it, it actually felt like a noble cause. And, uh, you know, that kind of kicked everything off from there. Once I headed down that path, uh, you know, I've, I've never really decided or, or wanted to stray since. Um, so maybe if you could tell the audience where you're currently working. Yeah. Yeah. So today I, uh, I own and operate a, uh, consulting firm, uh, Sanguine Security Solutions. Um, we specialize in project delivery, solution delivery in the security space, uh, and then other adjacent spaces, you know, like, uh, governance and things like that. Um, we also uh, we have a primary focus this year on user security programs, and that's really kind of what I what I see as being one of the biggest misses with most organizations that I've talked to is their their user security strategy and having something that is uh, you know orchestrated and integrated with the tools and technologies and processes that they have in place. 
Well, let's stay on that for a second. What do you mean by user security? Yeah, so that's a great question. Um, so user security is the, the combination of uh, enabling users uh, to make good decisions and then also just teaching them what those good decisions look like. So a lot of organizations have a tendency to, you know, kind of throw technology and tools uh, out there and then hope that those will take care of a lot of the the user security concerns uh, mm -hmm. or they, you know, maybe go through a, you know, one hour a year uh, training and awareness, you know, video that everybody has to, has to take and watch, but they aren't really catered to, you know, what the users actually do. If you look at, you know, the, the user attack surface, there's different users within the organization that interact with the public in different ways or, or the outside world. Some people, it may be, you know, through email is most of the way that they interact with the outside world, but there are a lot of users out there that, you know, they handle a lot of phone calls. Uh, there are a lot of users that deal with the public in person and understanding the different needs to, you know, securing those users is paramount to having a, a good user security program. So uh, one of the things that we really want to do is help people uh, design and implement those programs, uh, put the right tools and technology in place to protect the users where they are, uh, and then provide them with training and education uh, to utilize the tools that we've we've put in front of them and help make good decisions. Uh, you know, it, kind of the idea here is that, you know, we all say that user or that security is everyone's responsibility, um, but typically we don't do a lot to actually enable users to make it their responsibility. So I'd like to change that. Uh, really interesting. And I like the mission. I, what I find interesting is that you're specifically using the term user. Mm -hmm. which I'm guessing is because when you think about technology, most most platforms will either charge or, or talk about users of the platform versus right. employee or agent or consultant or something along those lines. Is that is that accurate? Yeah, yeah. There, there's a couple thoughts around that. The first one is that, um, you know, just saying employee can be a little bit mis misleading, uh, particularly for organizations that may outsource, you know, things like help desk or call center you know, or even uh, outsource, you know, part of their, their IT staff or operations. But then the other idea that, you know, we do a lot around identity security, um, which I, I think we have to differentiate the the identity piece from the actual human piece. Um, but I, I also, I don't want to necessarily say human security because that can, you can kind of conflate that with physical security. Um, now, there's a lot of the same concepts that you put in place, you know, like mapping the attack service and things like that. But, you know, the the physical security and physical protection of, uh, of the human being is a little bit different than securing the user. Hmm. Interesting. I'm going to switch gears for a, for a second um, sure. or maybe even a little bit longer than that. So you're working you ha or you have worked in corporate mm -hmm. and then you launched your own business called Sanguine Security Solutions. What was behind that decision to go out on your own? Yeah, so I've I've worked in corporate W2 environments for uh in mostly in the security and IT space for a little bit over a decade. Um Fortune 50s, Fortune 1000, uh you know, I I've most recently worked with a, a Fortune 300 financial services company. Uh, the idea of kind of breaking out on my own, it, it was kind of fortuitous the way it happened. I had a, a friend of mine that needed some assistance with uh, with some IT consulting, and I legal zoomed an LLC and got a tax ID and, and started helping him out. It was really kind of as simple as that. 
And then I started having more and more people that were within my professional network that came and they were asking me for, you know, help with this or help with that. Uh, I ended up doing a lot of subcontracting project management work, but the, the more and more I did it, the more and more I realized that I was getting a unique opportunity uh, to see a multitude of different problems, a multitude of different solutions, work with really smart people all across the industry. And that's just, that's not necessarily an opportunity that a lot of people get as a W-2 employee. Uh, there was also, there was, you know, a big perk of, you know, kind of owning my own, my own destiny a little bit, you know, and the work that I do and who I want to work with, the hours that I work, the money I make, things like that. It's, it's very appealing. Sure. I mean, it sounds um, like it was a bit of an opportunistic um, situation with with uh, the people coming to you. Now, do you still conduct marketing and sales that way where it's word of mouth and people are coming to you or have you changed to that strategy now? You know, um, so it's funny you say that. Last year, uh, the first half of the year, I was, um, it, I, I mostly have people coming to me. And I would say that, you know, on one hand, I was very fortunate in that. And the other hand, I was a little bit spoiled. Um, it, it's it's nice when you have people that, you know, are coming to you and asking you to to work with them. At one point in time, I was actually turning down business because I just, I didn't have the capacity anymore. Uh, the second half of the year was a little bit different. Uh, it felt a little bit more like the Hunger Games. And uh, my, my, <laughs> My pipeline dried up a little bit, and then I had to start doing some some outbound business development work. And let me tell you, if you know if you're starting off as a consultant and you've never done any outbound sales before, um, it is it's a rude awakening. You, you realize very quickly why you see the the multitude of of tactics in your email box and in your LinkedIn and you know the the folks that are calling your phone because it's not easy. Um, at one point, I was getting somewhere between a 30 and 40% response rate just on my initial message, but the actually turning that into a, a closed, you know, arrangement or agreement uh, was closer to 0%. And it, it makes you realize very quickly that there's, there's a lot more to this than just meeting people and shaking hands and saying, Hey, I've, I've got this business can work with me. Uh, it's, it's a lot of work and it, it requires a, a distinct strategy uh, to really be able to execute and be successful at. And that's something to be candid. I, I still don't think I've completely figured out uh, and I'm still trying to work to get better at. Yeah, well, I, I also believe it constantly changes. So sometimes it's also keeping up with uh, the strategy changes that you need to employ that can be difficult. So that leads me to, of course, one of my favorite questions, which if you've listened to the podcast, you know, um, which is what is the hardest part of running your own business? Um. Every time I think that I've got it figured out, the only thing I figured out is that I don't have it figured out. There, <laughs> you know, it, like, every time I, I think I've like, hey, I, I'm getting past this last door, I get through it and I realize that there's three or four more. Um, it, it's been a rude awakening for me. There, there's just, There's so much more to owning and operating a business than just the work itself the the business itself is a huge undertaking and there's a huge learning curve and there's just there's so much um yeah. i've been fortunate that i've had some some really good mentors and some folks that were there to support me particularly very early on that helped kind of guide me in the right direction and let me know about the things that were going to be important and the things that weren't um and i i've had some 
relatively low cost failures, which has been good. Um, you know, you, you like it when the lessons are cheap <laughs> versus when, when they're very costly. Uh, I've also, I've learned some lessons about, you know, the type of business that you may not want to take on. Um, I've had a couple opportunities that have come up where it wasn't necessarily in my wheelhouse and it didn't really feel like the, the right opportunity. And while part of me was very tempted to, you know, go ahead and chase after it anyway, knowing that it didn't really align with what I was trying to do strategically and maybe even what I was, uh, you know, equipped to do. Uh, I was able to make some good decisions and not take that on. Uh, and then, you know, you talk to other folks that are in the industry, they'll, they'll tell you that, you know, that can be a career ender, you know, or yeah. particularly for a, somebody that's, you know, young in the business world. So I, I was fortunate to have some people that, that gave me good advice. Would you, if, if you were to give advice to someone who's just starting their own consulting practice right now, would you say to them, find some mentors? A hundred percent. Um, find mentors. You know, the other thing that I think is really, um, it's changed my outlook on things, uh, you know, particularly this year is, you know, don't be afraid to work with other people. Don't try, don't necessarily try and do it all yourself. Um, you know, if, if you want to, there's a saying that if you want to go fast, uh, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, I, I did a lot very quickly, uh, when I started this here a couple of years ago, uh, but then I reached a point where I wasn't necessarily going as far as I wanted to. So I, I've kind of changed the, the strategy a little bit this year to, to work with some other folks and try to partner, uh, and, and pool expertise and pool resources. So, you know, we can hopefully build something that's, that's bigger and better than what any of us could do on our own. So, so how big is your consulting firm right now? So right now the uh, the only W two employee. Well, I don't know if I, I'm considered a W two. I'm a, an owner, but uh, I'm the the one employee, and then I have uh, a couple of folks that are on 1099 that can can assist me as needed. Okay, you, you so you pull them in when the client work requires it. Right. Yeah. I uh, I realized when I had to turn down business last year that it was important to have a little bit of a bench, um, mm -hmm. and it's not all that easy sometimes to to build that bench immediately. Um, you know, so, you know, even if nothing else, just having the paper in place, yeah. um, and, and the agreement and knowing that, you know, you've kind of ironed out all the details and they, they're on the same page as you, as far as what the working relationship is going to look like, making sure you've got all that established, um, ahead of time is important because you don't want to try to navigate that, uh, at the same point in time that you're trying to, you know, sign the contract for this new business. You want to have it all kind of laid out ahead of time. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what do you enjoy the most about running your own business? Um, all the opportunities to meet new people, uh, the opportunities to see new tools. That's, that's a huge benefit. I get to see a lot of new tools and technologies and learn about a lot of things that are on the cutting edge. Um, but then also there's just, there's the knowing how much you're learning and you're getting exposed to, uh, you know, I, I feel like I've probably grown professionally more in the last couple of years than I have in the last 10. And that's been extremely rewarding for me. Yeah, something that not everyone on the show talks about, but it, it definitely is. When you say you have an opportunity to see new tools, is that through your clients you're seeing new tools, or is it are you getting now just different types of sales <laughs> inbound to you? Uh, a little bit of both. You get to see what people have in place, and you know what they're using, what's working well, what's not. Um, there, I can think of a an example last year. Uh, I'd probably be a little embarrassed to name the the platform, but I'd never heard of them before, and then I realized 
wow, this platform's really big. Um, and there's a, there's a lot of people in the mid market that are using this, but as somebody who came from mostly, um, you know, an enterprise level organizations, you know, you don't see some of those mid market tools out there every day. So that's been, that's been really enlightening. Um, but then I also, you know, like anybody else, I probably get half a dozen, uh, emails or LinkedIn messages every day trying to get me to look at this tool or this technology. A lot of them, you know, it may not necessarily fit in my wheelhouse or be aligned to what I'm trying to strategically do, but every once in a while they are. Um, so, you know, I'll, I'll take a, a lunch meeting once or twice a week to, to review some new tool or technology and see if it's something that, you know, might work for, for me or one of my clients down the road. Yeah. I mean, it, it's possible. I may have been one of those people at one point. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what, what type of uh, client are you targeting? Uh, mostly small and mid-market. Um, okay. I, I'm not necessarily equipped at this point to, to handle an enterprise client. Um, so most of what I'm looking for is, you know, organizations that are probably under a thousand employees. Um, you know, and, and that's really kind of my wheelhouse, uh, mostly in the healthcare manufacturing or education spaces. Okay. Um, and then I guess I got to ask, because we were talking about tools, do you use any tools that you would, you can not name them if you don't want to publicly promote them, but do you use any tools in your practice or is it mostly, um, you know, manual methods of, of helping? Uh, I, I'm using more and more all the time. Okay. Um, so when I when I started the business, I started uh, with the Microsoft Suite just because that was what I knew. Um, but then I've also branched out like for for project management, I've used Asana and Monday, uh, okay. which I, I think that those are both you know great platforms and great tools for project management. Um, from a, a GRC platform uh, standpoint, I've used a few different tools, uh, namely like Vanta and Comigen, uh, okay. both both pretty good. They, they've got a little bit different use cases. Uh, something that is really neat that I'm, uh, a couple platforms that I think are really cool that I'm just starting to really get spun up. Uh, one of them is called Hack Notice. Okay. Uh, so Hack Notice, it is, um, it's probably one of the neater things that I've seen in a while, particularly if you're an executive level user, or, uh, like highly privileged or admin. Um, it can monitor your entire domain. It can also monitor specific individuals. So if you look at, you know, executives that are oftentimes uh, spearfished, you know, or mm -hmm. uh, people have these like whaling attempts at them, uh, it can help let you know whether your credentials or whether any information about you has been leaked on the dark web. It can go ahead and clean that up kind of like a delete me type service. Uh, but then, you know, it's the entire platform can also monitor your whole domain and third parties that you work with. So you can see whether, you know, there's any organization that uh, maybe you share a lot of data with that has had a leak recently. Uh, that way you can get out in front of that before, you know, waiting for a, an 8K filing or, you know, or for them to actually notify you maybe months down the road. Um, we've seen some of that recently in the industry. The other thing that's really neat that um, probably is not all that well circulated yet is Emanate uh, Security. So it's kind of like a UABA platform, uh, but it can do a lot more than that. It, it, this is actually one of the things that I'm really excited about using here over the next uh, next year or so. You know, 
And it goes along the lines of that whole idea that if we say security is everyone's responsibility, how do we actually enable that? Well, mm -hmm. Emanate actually does that. And so what it'll do is it'll it'll plug into all your different log sources, like a regular SIM or UEBA platform. However, instead of just sending all the alerts directly to the security team, which can be pretty overwhelming and you know maybe lead to not getting timely responses, uh, certain alerts, it'll actually notify the users themselves or their managers. So for example, um, let's say you have a, a login attempt from Iran. They know that you're probably not working in Iran. Instead of sending a notification to the, the security team, and then you know, hopefully they'll be able to get to it within the next couple of days or not sending an alert to anybody, it'll actually notify the, the user themselves over you know, a Slack channel, email, uh, text message, Teams, uh, whatever their preferred method is, and just ask them to validate whether they're trying to log in from Iran. So when you look at the, you know, the, the threat landscape, the, the bad actors, the, the tools and technology and the abilities for them to, you know, to attack an organization, it's, it's getting cheaper and easier every day. Uh -huh. And it's impossible to scale your security team uh, to align to that. So really, to me, the only solution is to, you know, enable the secure or to enable the actual users to make better decisions on their own and, and M&A will do that. Yeah, that's cool. Um, and I 100% agree with you that, that sec security is, is certainly a shared responsibility. And I'm not talking about uh, um, cloud service providing shared responsibilities. <laughs> <Right. situations. laughs> um, but, I, you know, when you were talking, it made me think, I have to ask you, what do you think is, I'm not going to, I will say what is your number one or what do you think is the number one, but you can do more than that because there's always going to be more. Um, like security, cybersecurity threat that is is happening right now. Um, you know, I'd say it has to still be social engineering. Hmm. Um, you know, you look at some of the the data out there, it's somewhere around 80% of all breaches start with the users and over 50% of those are from social engineering, whether it be, you know, business email compromise or, or phishing. Uh, there's a lot of social engineering that's happening at the voice level right now. Uh, we've even seen here within the last couple of weeks, um, the, the gentleman in Hong Kong that got deep faked, uh, someone impersonated the CFO of his company, actually went on a video call, a, a deep fake to video call, and uh, convinced this gentleman to wire transfer $25 million someplace. So, you know, the social engineering is a tactic that's as old as time. You know, you look back to the, the Trojan horse, that was a social engineering attack, and people still do it today because it works. So until people get a little bit more... Uh, get a little bit more trained to spot social engineering attacks and we we give them a little bit better tools in their tool belt to to defend themselves that's going to continue to be the the number one threat i think to most organizations yeah i agree it's almost like you have to distrust everything um but yeah. unfortunately we have basically run out of time i'm going to do one quick fire question because it's my favorite one and i ask it of everybody which is what is your number one security tip that you tell let's say lay people so friends and family at social events um, password managers, uh, don't write down on your, don't write down on your passwords. Don't use the same easy to, you know, easy to guess password for everything. Password managers, you can get them for free. Um, and you just plug all your credentials in there and it will save you the headache of having to try five or six or seven times to remember what your Disney plus password is. You've got it in the password manager. It's all saved there. You can copy and paste right out of it. Yeah, love that. All right, Nick, so please tell the audience where they can find you. 
Yeah, so you can find me on LinkedIn. Uh, my name is Nick Mullen, uh, or you can find uh, my company Sanguine Security Solutions also on LinkedIn or sanguinesecuritysolutions.com. Great. Well, if you're listening to this podcast, you can find all of our podcasts on Substack and Apple Podcasts at the Security Expert Marketplace. Nick just talked about where you can find him. So I'm going to say thank you so much, Nick, for joining the podcast today. It was great talking to you. I love learning about the user security program. I'm going to have to talk to people about that. And um, that's it for our show. Thank you. Thanks so much.